You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Everybody and welcome back to Circling Shell Sports on Converge Media. You can see I'm here by myself today. Uh, Bill is unable to join us, unfortunately. I know that might get some groans here and there, but at the end of the day, you know, regardless of whatever's going on, we're gonna have our Shell Sports news for you. There is nobody that is doing it like Circling Shell Sports and Converge are uh, in relation to the giant scope of our Seattle Sports teams that you can see on the back of the laptop here. Taking that all into consideration. Uh, it's been a busy week, not necessarily for the best. As we look, some of the uh, earlier teams that we cover, the Seahawks kind of had an up and down week. Obviously, I'm sure a lot of uh, riding high on the uh, win over the Broncos and Russell Wilson, the demolishing uh, that the team uh, experienced against the 49ers. Unfortunately, the Mariners are struggling with injuries, uh, even though right now they're currently up against the Angels as they're playing a day game down in Anaheim. Uh, the Sounders took a tough loss and likely a big blow to their playoff chances. We go over our storm recap, which didn't then unfortunately end uh, the way that we wanted it to. The Kraken uh, training camp is beginning soon and actually starts today with rookie camp. Uh, the rain got a win, so it's a little good news, uh, generally some bad news, but Obviously, we're going to go all over uh, the entire scope of things. So we'll start with our Seahawks here, who played two games technically over the past week of what we cover last week, obviously, with Monday Night Football. We didn't have that available because we record earlier in the day. So we look at this game on Monday night against the Broncos. A 17-16 to win, absolute nail-biter of a game. Uh it was 12 years to the date that Pete Carroll had actually won his first game as the head coach of the Seahawks. Uh, this one was pretty wild. I mean, the offense was able to look pretty competent for a good amount of the game. There were two goal line stops where the Broncos fumbled on the goal line. Uh, the Broncos got a kind of a fluky touchdown when Kobe Bryant got beat. Uh, well, I mean, not fluky necessarily then. Um and it all came down to a late game situation. Russell Wilson and the Broncos had the ball and Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of Denver, decided to put the game in the hands of Brandon McManus, who's got plenty of leg, but attempted a 64 yard field goal that, you know, 64 yards is kind of all I have to say. Uh, instead of using your quarterback, uh, who you signed to this mega deal and made this big trade for in his first game back in Seattle. And Seattle was able to skirt out with a win. Like I was kind of saying leading up to this game, Pete Carroll tends to get his team up for these bigger sorts of games. Um, and they did. Pete Carroll was able to get the Seahawks up for this game. Uh, Denver, I'm sure they'll look better than they have in these first two weeks as we get on through the season. They played a really ugly game against the Texans and were able to win that one, but still did not look at all how people would expect them to look. Um Seattle showed out. I mean, good usage of all three tight ends. Geno Smith moved the ball pretty decently well. The run game looked pretty solid. Uh, the defense had its moments. But again, this was a big game. I expect you to get up for big games. That's what Pete Carroll tends to do. So we look at that game. Here's your uh, inactive list against the Broncos. Isaiah Dunn, Artie Burns, so the veteran corner still kind of going through some things. Uh, DT Miles Adams was inactive for this game. So LJ Collier active instead of Adams, which is an interesting move to me. Long snapper Tyler Ott still injured. You might not see him for a bit. Offensive guard Damian Lewis was not able to go against Denver. Instead, filling in was offensive guard Phil Haynes and Ken Walker the third. pardon me. I, only, I know I only says two there, but Ken Walker the third unable to go, uh, excuse me, in the opener there. It was a really interesting game. It was a really interesting game. The offense, again, was able to stay competent, had a good solid balance to it. The defense had some lapses, but it was more of that bend, don't break sort of thing that we saw throughout the majority of last season to an extent. So it was a solid game to build off of. And you think, okay, you know, maybe we've got some things to work on here, but you look solid. 
we'll get to that 49ers game, but first we'll look at offensive and defensive players of the game. Since Bell's not here, we don't really have her input on those things, unfortunately. Um, but I think offensive player of the game doesn't, not much needs to be said here. Geno Smith played a pretty solid game, uh, had that quote after the game that uh, they wrote me off. I didn't write back. Uh, the world was feeling high on Geno. And it, I mean, 23 completions, 195 passing yards, two tighties, 14 rush yards. Not a crazy game, but he did what he needed to, to orchestrate the offense and just lead a competent offensive game plan. On the defensive side of the ball, you could have gone with a couple guys, Mike Jackson, the cornerback, not the, uh, the legend himself. Um, had a solid game, two fumble recoveries, both of those ones, the uh, times that Denver fumbled in on the goal line, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams fumbling uh, away two opportunities. But I went with Cody Barton here. Barton, 10 total tackles, eight solo, a sack, two tackles for loss, and a QB hit. Really was all over the field. And I'll admit, I was pretty skeptical about the inside linebacker position uh, outside of Jordan Brooks once Bobby Wagner left. I haven't been the biggest fan of Cody Barton in his time in Seattle while he was backing up Bobby Wagner, uh, but he showed out in this game. He really showed out, and that's what Seattle's going to need in this new 3-4 defense, having two inside linebackers. Obviously, Jordan Brooks is going to be there, but you're going to need Cody Barton to step up, and he played really well in that game. So, I mean, you got what you needed to out of that one. We look over to the 49ers game, which was yesterday on Sunday, and this was just an ugly one. This was just an ugly one. A 27-7 to loss. The only Seattle points coming off of a blocked field goal for a touchdown by Mike Jackson. It's the first time that the Seahawks have got a touchdown off of a blocked field goal since the 2012 season. I believe it was Richard Sherman uh, who returned it. Red Bryant blocked that kick. It was against the 49ers as well. Uh, that was a Sunday night football game. Uh but yeah, this one was just ugly. Trey Lance went down early, uh, came out of the game with an ankle injury, and his season is over. He's had to had he had successful surgery today. Fortunately, you never like to see those injuries. That means though that Jimmy Garoppolo steps in for San Francisco, and Garoppolo was able to lead a solid offense. Seattle was unable to do obviously anything on offense. Uh, just a lot of weird. There were some trick plays in there. DJ Dallas threw an interception. Um, just couldn't move the ball. Couldn't move the ball. The tackling, again, was poor. In that Denver game, the tackling was poor, but they were able to overcome it, obviously, to get the win there. The tackling was poor. Couldn't stop the run. Coverage was poor. It was just a bad showing. Uh, you, they were Seattle was down 20 to nothing at the half. Just, just unfortunate. Just really unfortunate. And it brings you back down to reality to an extent here. You know, you look at this and... The big win, you know, against Denver is obviously a lot of fancy that it is the Super Bowl for this team this year. They've accomplished what they need to. They don't need to worry about anything else. Um, and I, I kind of feel that way. I mean, you're not playing to win the division here with the way that the Rams are going to be. Um, San Francisco will have a good push. Uh, but I don't expect Arizona to do too much, honestly. Um, but this team isn't going to win a lot of ball games. We looked at it last week with the preview of the season. I think they can win some games here. you got a solid matchup against Atlanta. I know they put up a fight at the end of their last game in week two against the Rams, but this is a bad roster and you're playing at home. You've got some things to build on. You've got better playmakers than them. You should have a better roster than them. You should, should, right? That doesn't mean much, but you should win this ball game. So, you know, got the question here. How do you feel about the Seahawks two games in? Please feel free to leave a comment. I always am intrigued to hear the different viewpoints on things like this. But again, I, I don't think we should expect much. I know that, you know, you see that week one win. It's like, wow, what can they really do? You know, Will Disley had a good game. You got other guys involved. Kobe Parkinson scored a touchdown. Uh, Cody Barton was flying around on the defensive end. Jamal Adams was flying around before he got injured. And we'll get at get to that in injury news, but this second game against the 49ers was kind of a uh, halter, like a uh, falling back to earth reality sort of game. So 
we will look at players of the game against San Francisco. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I went with Tyler Lockett. Lockett, 16, no, pardon me, nine receptions for 170 yards. So Tyler, despite the slow offensive day, was able to have a 100-yard game. He now has 16 career games with 100 or more receiving yards. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, Al Woods, the veteran defensive tackle, had seven total tackles, six solo, three tackles for loss, and a pass deflection. So uh, Big Al, a veteran in this three to four defense, might see his production slow down, was able to make a good impact there on the defensive side of the ball, and otherwise a tough day uh, for the defense. So again, tough one. Our inactive list against 49ers. Uh, Artie Burns, again, he was closer to getting to going. Uh, Justin Coleman uh, was out. So you're missing two veteran corners. Safety Joey Blunt, who might have made some impact, was out. Uh, might have made some impact considering that Jamal Adams is out. But Blunt was out. Miles Adams continues to be out. I don't. I, Adams played well in the preseason. I expect to see him sooner rather than later. Offensive tackle Jake Curran and wide receiver Derek Young. All of those guys were inactive against San Francisco there on the road. Really tough one. Um, and then we get to other tough news with the news about Jamal Adams. Jamal uh, suffered a quad injury against Denver in week one. It was in, I believe, the first half as well. Uh, we would later find out that he had a torn quadricep, uh, placed an injury reserve, He's not expected to play again this season, has had the surgery um, or is going to in the near future, but just really tough. I know that, you know, we've got the thing below us to tell, let me know how you feel about that trade and about Adams as a whole. He's had a tough go of things with the injuries, uh, you know, obviously having the club on uh, through last year, the broken finger to begin training camp, and then this. No matter how you feel about him as a player, it's a really tough situation. And he's a guy that can do a lot. I mean, set a record for sacks by a defensive back a few years ago. And he's been able to do a good amount. I know the interceptions are a thing that people are talking about in that game against Denver. He had a ball hit him in the face when he was trying to intercept it. Um, but it's tough. And you never want to see injuries anyway. So just really tough for Jamal and just wondering what Seattle can do defensively, uh, trying to replicate that sort of production without him because the Seahawks defense was pretty creative uh, with him against Denver. And now that you've got him out, it's like, how much of that can we replicate? So other sort of injury updates on the 14th of September, uh, Ken Walker uh, was expected back for week two when he was able to debut in the uh, second game of the season against the 49ers. Damian Lewis was set to return against the 49ers. He did return, but was uh, had to leave that game, and we'll get to that in a second. And then Tyler Ott, the long snapper, will need shoulder surgery, so that will have him out for a decent amount of time. On the 18th, injury news against San Francisco from that game itself. Uh, Shelby Harris, the defensive end from that Russell Wilson trade, left the game with a glute injury and did not return. We would later find out that it was a calf injury and he should be good to go it's not serious damian lewis also had to leave that game with a thigh injury and did not return so but despite both of those guys not returning to that game luckily neither of those injuries are serious uh so tough news obviously losing jamal for the year uh your long snappers out which is something i'd never expect to say and then some unfortunate injuries against the 49ers luckily though not serious uh, we look to team-related notes on the 13th after the win on Monday night. It would be announced that outside linebacker Uchenna Nwosu was named NFC Defensive Player of the Week. Nwosu recorded seven tackles, one pass deflection, one forced fumble, and one sack. This was a guy in the offseason uh, when we were going through the sort of recap and looking at the moves that this team was making that I thought was a sort of under-the-radar addition. Uh, Nuosu is a guy that, you know, played some moments down with the Chargers, had some impact plays, but, you know, hasn't really made that breakout. This here in Seattle is an opportunity to do that. And he had a good game, not only against Denver here, but also against San Francisco. Again, I know that was a tough game defensively, but he made some contributions there. So I'm excited to see what Nuosu can do as the season progresses and how he can sort of set that edge as a pass rushing linebacker in this sort of three, four set. Uh, 
we look over to the news on the 14th of September. Some big news here. I know this is one that a lot of fans of the team for a long time have been waiting for. It was announced that officially Sean Alexander will be inducted into the Seahawks Ring of Honor. Uh, that will take place on October 16th uh, at home, obviously, versus the Cardinals. Alexander, if you don't know, is a former MVP, All-Pro, and Offensive Player of the Year, that big year uh, in 2005, helping carry the Seahawks to the Super Bowl. Uh, he had 9,000 plus rushing yards and a hundred touchdowns on the dot with the Seahawks spending a very small time with Washington after his time in Seattle, uh, had that big line of Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson on the left side, Robbie Tobek, um, in that 2005 team. This is news that, uh, I figured it was a matter of time for Alexander to be added. You figured maybe the 2005 team uh, as a general whole would be added to the Ring of Honor here, but it's really cool to see Sean uh, added to that. He was one of the first Seahawks players that I was a fan of, had a jersey of. Uh, so to see him be inducted uh, soon here uh, next month will be really cool. That's pretty awesome news to hear about. Um yeah, I mean, probably him and Marshawn, the top two running backs in Seahawks history. Um, that That is really cool. And I'm excited to see how that goes and what other players will be joining the Ring of Honor. I'm sure you'll get some more from that 2005 team before we see any of the sort of Legion of Boom era Seahawks added to that. But that is, that is cool news to see. Again, the only player in Seahawks history to win the MVP award. He was an all-pro as well and an offensive player of the year. I don't know if any other Seahawks have won offensive player of the year. I don't believe so. So Alexander set a bunch of marks in that historic 2005 season. Um, as well, I believe it was a rushing touchdown record that would get broken the next year by LaDainian Tomlinson. Uh, so regardless of that, we look up to next week against the Falcons as the Seahawks have a one-and-one one record. Uh, they are third out of the NFC West after being uh, at the top of the division after that week one win against the Broncos. Again, as I mentioned, this is a, Den a Atlanta team that's got a bad roster. They have started out 0-2 to begin the year. They blew a big uh, lead against the uh, Saints in week one. This will take place September 25th uh, with a 1.25 p.m. kickoff time at Lumen Field. So this should be one of the few Seahawks wins this year, but again... I wouldn't be surprised. I've seen crazier things happen. We look over to the Mariners and the sort of unfortunate sort of things continue here as we look to the end of one of the final homestands of the year and the beginning of the last road trip of the year for the ball club. So the Mariners played two games against the Padres on the September, the 13th and 14th of September. That first game, a two to nothing loss, unfortunately. So with shutouts, no players of the game there. San Diego's a good ball club. You Darvish just had a great game, pitched eight innings, probably could have pitched a complete game if we're being totally honest. And the Seattle hitters were really just unable to solve it. Um, and even the Padres, I mean, there was good pitching on the other side of it, but the no run support there uh, against you Darvish by Seattle. Luckily, they were able to bounce back on the 14th in the day game on Hispanic Heritage Day with a 6-1 to win. Player of the game number one, starting pitcher Luis Castillo. Castillo goes six innings, only allowing four hits, not giving up a run. Uh, one walk on the day and nine strikeouts. That one walk shouldn't have even been a walk because uh, the pitch that was ball four was actually pretty well in the strike zone. Uh Player of the game number two, designated hitter Carlos Santana, the DH on the day, one hit, one run, three RBI. Santana hit a three-run bomb to give the Mariners even more of a lead against the Padres and split that awkward sort of two-game set there. That was San Diego, you know, despite the struggles, Fernando Tatis and all that's took it, taken place with him, is a good ball club. I mean, they've got – they're in the thick of the NL wildcard race – uh, they're not going to chase the Dodgers. They've already, yeah, the Dodgers have already clinched their division, uh, but they've got a lot of talent. Manny Machado, obviously Juan Soto now. You Darvish has been a solid pitcher for a decent amount of time, but this was pretty solid series to only to hang around in that game. Obviously, unfortunately, lose that game too. But this was a pretty solid series. Uh, we look 
to that game too as well. Julio Rodriguez joined the 25-25 club as the only rookie, first-year rookie, to do that. Uh, Chris Young of Arizona and Mike Trout of the Angels were both able to accomplish that feat, but only Julio did it in his debut season. Both the other two did it a year after uh, they had actually debuted. So that was really historic. I mean, he continues to set marks and just overall be a guy that is, is really special, really special to watch. And it's just incredible each game to see what he does, whether it's a new record or something else. If you don't know what 25-25 is, it's the uh, 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases. And you figure he's slowed down with the stolen bases, so that might take some time. But you figure it's the sooner rather than later that he might have a 30-30 season in just his rookie year. So that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know if that'll happen. Uh, considering how much he's slowed down with the stolen bases, but it's certainly in play. Uh, also, I want to share, I know I mentioned when I started the talking about the September 14th game that it was Hispanic Heritage Day. There was a really cool moment pregame. Our photographer on the day, Brian Saldana, caught it where players of both the Padres and the Mariners uh, brought out flags of their native countries uh, and posed for a photo. As you can see there, Brian got this great shot. Um, of both teams celebrating. That was a really cool moment to see captured there. Um, and just to celebrate that, just I believe it was a day before as well, Roberto Clemente Day. So that was special. I wanted to throw that in there before we continue on to the Angels series. So the Mariners finish up that homestand going four and four in a tough set of games against the White Sox, the Braves, and then the Padres. Those are three good ball clubs. And they split it. Uh, those eight games and it even four and four. So they go on their last road trip of the regular season down to Anaheim first. And this, it gets rocky uh, September 16th at the angels an eight to seven loss. Seattle goes down big early, uh, but was able to bring it with the within run uh, in the top of the ninth, just unable to complete the comeback. Player of the game designated here, Carlos Santana. Santana, two hits, two runs, three RBIs, and one walk on the day. Uh, Santana would hit two homers, uh, and that second one was a solo homer to bring the Mariners within one uh, in the top of the ninth. Unfortunately, the rest of the team was not able to tie it up and give them a win. September 17th at the Angels, a 2-1 to one loss. So this one much closer, but again, uh, the inconsistency of the offense shows up there. The only homer coming by a Taylor Trammell solo home run, and he would be our player of the game. One hit, one run, one RBI as Trammell starts in center field, and we'll get to why he was starting in center field here in a second. And then the 18th, uh, normally this is where the series would end, but they're playing a fourth game on a Monday, which is this rarely happens. Um, the third game, September 18th, a 5-1 to one loss. This one just an embarrassing one despite Seattle jumping ahead early. Uh, Actually, they equalized early. Player of the game, second baseman Adam Frazier. Frazier, one hit, one RBI. He helps bring in the only run of the day for the Mariners. Uh, and the pitching just unable to really hold it in there. But it doesn't really matter as the offense doesn't give them much run support. So a struggle there. Uh, you lose the first three games of the road trip. They're winning right now on the bottom of the second against the Angels. Uh, the first run driven in by Ty France as J.P. Crawford singled. France would drive him home on a double. Uh, but it's a tough lineup. You've got guys like Kurt Casale's in, Abraham Toro's in, Dylan Moore is playing center field. And we'll get to that when we get to injury-related news. But it's been a tough slope. They've had a good amount of injuries, and they're trying to deal with that right now against divisional teams that surely aren't going to just lay down and give them these wins. Uh, we look to player of the week here. Uh, it's a tough slate because a lot of these guys are struggling, but Julio in his limited at-bats has been able to do things and have a pretty impressive average. In 11 plate appearances over the past seven days, Julio has four hits, four runs. Two of those hits are homers, two RBIs, 10 total bases, a walk, a stolen base, which would be his 26 on the season, a 364 batting average, a 462 on base percentage, a 909 slugging percentage to create a 1.37 OPS. Julio, to this day, leads the team in war, wins above replacement by 
good amount with 5.7. The next closest Mariners player is Eugenio Suarez with a 4.6. So we'll get to that injury-related news now. Uh, on the 17th of September, Eugenio Suarez was placed on the 10-day injured list with a small fracture in his right index finger. Uh, Gino, in I believe it was game one against the Angels, uh, suffered an injury uh, on a sort of pop fly where it just he threw his bat, didn't look comfortable, tried to shake his hand off, and we would find out that he had a small fraction of his right finger. From Gino himself, he said that he's feeling better and that it shouldn't be too long. That would be big, especially considering how much of an impact he's made uh, in the month of September here, going even back to August. He was our player. He was our star of the week last week on Seattle Star of the Week. Gino's been huge. And even I mentioned it with the Julio thing, Gino second uh, on the team in war and wins above replacement. So having him out is big. Also on the 17th, Julio Rodriguez is a late scratch from the lineup due to lower back tightness. On the 18th, Julio is out of the lineup again, taking the day off as a precaution. Today on the 19th, he's not pitched. He, it was announced that he did some light uh, swinging yesterday, and my team hopes to have him back against Oakland. But obviously, you don't want to mess with any injury to him. So Dino's out. Julio's out. Cal Raleigh has been dealing with something. Uh, I believe it was his hand that he's dealing with lately. And he's only expected to go today in an emergency situation. Uh, Dylan Moore's back, fortunately. Uh, let's see. Ty France supposedly has a wrist thing still dealing with. So you think about that. That's a lot of your offensive contributors. You get Mitch back. Mitch Hanniger, uh had been out of the lineup dealing with something. But you think about those names. Suarez, Rodriguez, Hanager, Raleigh, those are some pretty big offensive contributors, and the team has been without them as of late. So you're really hoping uh, that the team is going to be able to maneuver around that and deal with that because and this is the home stretch. I mean, uh, things are getting really serious here. The soonest, as of right now, I know that it'll depend on what happens in this game against the Angels, but the soonest I believe that this team can clinch a playoff berth is uh, Sunday, the 2nd of October, when they're back on their final homestand of the year. So things are getting serious, um, and you need these guys to get healed up pretty quickly. And I think uh, you hope that you can get these guys healed up over the course of this road trip. So we look at other sort of team-related news. On the 16th of September, uh, the Mariners would announce their Fall League participants. If you're not aware, Fall League is sort of when players can continue their development and just continue to get better uh, with after their minor league seasons have ended. Uh, left-handed pitcher Adam Mako, outfielder Alberto Rodriguez, right-handed pitcher Brian Wu, who is pictured there on your screen, uh, first baseman Robert Perez Jr., right-handed pitcher Ty Adcock, left-handed pitcher Jorge Benitez, infielder Jose Caballero, uh, outfielder, outfielder Spencer Packard, and right-handed pitcher Juan Sen will all be participating in the Fall League uh, from our Seattle Mariners organization. On the 17th, infielder Dylan Moore returned from his rehab assignment in AAA Tacoma and was reinstated from the 10-day IL. So it's big to get Dylan Moore back. He played a good game in center field last night. And you're going to need your guys healthy regardless as we get down to the home stretch. So that's all we've got for team-related news. Uh, for league-related news, on the 13th, it would be announced that Rawlings, who makes a lot of uh, gloves in Major League Baseball and just in general, announced that they will unveil a utility gold glove award moving forward. There are the nine gold glove awards uh, given out per league, including pitcher, uh, but there will now be a utility award going forward. The award will be given in both the American League and National League. Uh, there's no... Uh, requirements announced officially yet but if we're looking at anything like that uh, i know some mariners fans will know a certain player who would fit into that category sam haggerty does currently league lead utility players in defensive runs saved i believe it's with six so could see some hardware there but uh, we'll have to wait to see some official requirements and announcements about that they just made that announcement on the 13th, and that's pretty exciting to see considering how important utility players can be 
just around baseball as a whole. On the 14th, uh, two St. Car- Louis Cardinals legends set a record. Pitcher Adam Wainwright and catcher Yadier Molina set the most regular season starts as a battery, batteries pitcher and a catcher, uh, with 325. So congratulations to those two. Uh, it's not technically league news, uh, I guess, but also sticking with the Cardinals and some legends, uh, legendary uh, ball player. Uh, Albert Pujols, uh, nicknamed the machine, has 698 career home runs. He's two away from hitting the mark of 700, which is a big deal. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. That'll be pretty cool and pretty special. Albert's been a great guy to fans throughout his career. So that would be pretty exciting to see. Ooh, J.P. Crawford just hit a triple. He's two for two today. Very nice. Um, And then on the 15th, I know that we, a little bit ago, we mentioned Hispanic Heritage Day uh, for the Mariners. On the 15th, the Rays made history with an all-Latino lineup. All nine players in the batting order were Latino for Tampa Bay. That's the first time in Major League Baseball history. So that was a pretty cool mark. And they won the game pretty convincingly that they played in. So we look for our Mariners now looking ahead. They sit in an 80-win, 65-loss record. They are second in the American League West. That probably won't change. Uh, third in the AL Wild Card right now. They're two games behind Toronto for first, one and a half games behind Tampa Bay for second. So you can see why these losing these games and these injuries is critical because, you know, if you make the playoffs and you break the drought, that's great regardless. But you'd like the first wild card so that you can host those games. Looking ahead, the Mariners play one game today, which is September 19th with a 107 start. They already began. That's why I'm telling you what's going on. And then three games they'll play down in Oakland uh, next September 20th through 22nd. The 20th game is a 640 start. The 21st game is also a 640 start. And the game on the 22nd is a 1237 PM first pitch. So three games down in Oakland, you'd hope that you get some guys back from injury or if they need to rest, you can do so. But you got to start winning these games against these bad divisional teams. So kind of a tough slope for our two two first teams that we cover here on Circling Seattle Sports on Converge. Now we head to our season recap of our Seattle Storm, which, you know, again, that season didn't end how we wanted it to uh, with the Storm uh, losing to the eventual WNBA champion Las Vegas Aces in the semifinal. Uh, we look now to our categories, MVP, most improved player, best new addition, best game, best we- uh, biggest weaknesses for the team, and some offseason targets. We'll definitely go through some stuff more as the offseason continues for the Storm as this is a big offseason with the departure of Sue Bird and her retirement. Uh, Brianna Stewart is not locked down by contract. There are technically only two players under contract for Seattle. So this roster will probably look really different next year. When we look to MVP, this was a unanimous vote. Brianna Stewart, just incredible numbers. Uh, we'll get to more news about Stewie and some stats because she had another accolade announced uh, over the past week, but she was the heartbeat of Seattle. She continues to be the heartbeat of this team. Uh, where Stewie goes, this team goes. And, you know, it was unfortunate that her perfect record uh, at home in the playoffs was broken against the Aces this year. But Stewie just continues to be the best player in the world. Should have won MVP. That's its own case. Um, But, yeah, this was a unanimous award. I don't think there's any debate about this. But it was it was special to continue to see Stewie play the game of uh, basketball throughout the season. Most improved player. Bell and I were split on this. I went with Ezzy Magbagor. Uh, this was a, a tough choice, in my opinion, uh, because, I mean, she went with Gabby Williams, as you can see on the screen, and I, you could have easily gone with that one as well. Gabby getting her first real year in WNBA, having some great support, had a really solid year, had some offensive moments at times where it's like, wow, this is the complete version of Gabby Williams. Uh, saw some confidence on the stretch, had that unfortunate concussion against the Mystics in that round one series, had a great year. I went with Ezzy because, you know, this was a year that in the beginning of the season, before the team added Tina Charles, really started to flourish offensively and defensively had some great block numbers had a case to an extent for defensive player of the year even foremost improved player uh for the league award but just showed great improvement as a young center 
And I think that she's a restricted player and the team would have to pick up her option and they will. They absolutely will. Uh, I'm just hoping to see her really flourish more because it doesn't seem like Tina Charles will be back with Seattle next season. For best new addition, this was also a unanimous vote. Uh, we both went with Gabby Williams. Gabby showed great defensive play, uh, just an absolute versatile player. This, I mean, the definition of versatile can really guard from the one to the four spot. Had, when her offensive game was going, it was scary. She had some great games where her offensive input matched her defensive input. Uh, and was just a really impact player for Seattle. I expect them to want her back, but depending on the WNBA prioritization uh, sort of fee thing there that I'll talk about in a second in regards to Brianna Stewart, uh, she might not even be in WNBA next season. So we'll talk about that. But Gabby, great addition to this team, really exciting to see how she gained her confidence on the stretch, but really will be interesting to see what her decision is. Uh, I'm sure Seattle will want her back to help her be a part of this new look team, but that's ultimately up to Gabby. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. I'm talking a ton. Um, the prioritization thing that I'm mentioning is that the WNBA, uh, I believe it's this upcoming season has put into effect a new fee where if there are players who are unable to participate in the WNBA training camp uh, for their respective teams, they will be fined. Um, and I believe they could miss part of the season, but that's a big issue because a lot of these WNB players go overseas, uh, whether it's Europe, Russia, obviously with a Brittany Griner case that become, that comes into light, um, where their seasons are wrapping up around training camp time and they don't always make it to training camp. So even if you're like a day late, you get slapped with this sort of prioritization thing. So that's why Brianna Stewart and Gabby Williams are kind of like, I don't know, like I want to be able to play overseas and the league that was a dumb thing to add. So that will be big to watch as the offseason continues and just to see how that affects this uh, offseason period, free agency, all that sort of thing. So we'll keep an eye on that. But that's why I talk about potentially not seeing Stewie or Gabby back uh, this upcoming year. Don't want to frighten anybody, but I want that to be in your heads for when, if that potentially happens, but we'll have you covered regardless of what takes place. Uh, we look to best game. I didn't get an uh, input on bell about this one <clears throat> from bell. I went with game one against the mystics in round one of the playoffs. This was an 86, 83 win. This was a tough game throughout first game of the playoffs for Seattle. They play a mystics team that battled them for that four seed all throughout both teams played good games against each other throughout the regular season. And it took Jewel Lloyd late in the fourth quarter to really heat up and help Seattle win this game. It was a really good game. I mean, it showed two really talented teams. Elena Deladon tried to will Washington to a win, wasn't able to do so as Jewel Lloyd effectively matched her bucket for bucket. Um, yeah, this was a really good game. Just to see this and be a part of this was really special to me just to see how that all took place. Um, and I, I'm sure it could have gone with something in the regular season, but Seattle did a good a good job throughout the regular season to sort of handle business. And, I mean, you could have gone with one of those Vegas games, but, I mean, three of those were outs, so I'd try to not do that. Um, biggest weakness for the team, this was one that kind of became evident throughout the regular season. You could look to maybe rebounding. That was an issue that Noel Quinn highlighted throughout the year. The defense at times struggled against Vegas. Vegas, best team in the league. I mean, they just won the championship. But the lack of a consistent third score, Stewie and Jewel often would lead the team in offense. Sometimes Tina would replace Jewel as that. But there was no consistent third weapon for Seattle. You can't really expect Sue Bird to be that offensive production. She never really was a high score necessarily. Tina Charles had her moments where her offensive production was big, but there were some times where it was just like non-existent. Gabby Williams wasn't a, a reliable offensive threat to be your third person. So it kind of became, all right, who's going to be that third person? And there never really was one. So it's going to be interesting, say best case scenario, that Stewie does come back uh, who are you going to bring in to be that third person? Because you really, you know, with the way that Vegas is, you're going to need a third threat. 
you know, considering how deep Vegas is, you look at Asia Wilson, obviously now a two-time MVP, Chelsea Gray terrorized Seattle throughout the playoffs. Don't want to think about that. Kelsey Plum has had an amazing year, uh, won all-star game MVP, uh, Checky Young, I believe was most improved player. Just, we can go on about their weapons and it's like, you can only match Vegas so much. You know, you look at Stewie and Asia, uh, Jewel and say Chelsea, okay, who's matching up against, uh, yeah, I said Chelsea, who's matching up against Kelsey Plum offensively wise, who's going to negate Kelsey on the offensive end. So you're, that's going to be really important to see what Seattle does to shape their upcoming team this year and how they, how they, yeah, how they attack free agency, because there are going to be some targets. Obviously we'll see some players resign that'll get taken off the board, but it's going to be really important to see if this team goes in the rebuild mode or if they're able to retool and immediately put out another playoff contender. So with that all being talked about the offseason, offseason targets, a couple players that I would like to see Seattle look at, you know, depending on money that may or may not happen or other decisions like getting re-signed by the current team that they're with or retirement. Uh, I looked at Courtney Vandersloot on picture on the right there. And for Dierica Hamby, Hamby somebody that's been mentioned. Uh, Storm Chaser on Twitter mentioned her. Another good forward option to give some scoring for Seattle. Uh, just some more help there to, say, Stewie, if she's able to continue there with Seattle. But Vandersloot, even to last year, was rumored to have some interest in the Storm. Uh, I believe she's a local. And with now the vacancy at the point guard position opens up a great, great opportunity to take that spot over and play a final year back here in Seattle for her. But that obviously there's some things, maybe retirement, Hamby may get signed back, but considering that the aces just won the whole thing, obviously championship teams aren't able to keep everybody from their core. Uh, well, not core necessarily, but not able to keep everybody. So maybe Hamby's like, okay, I've made my mark in Vegas. Time to go somewhere else. So it'll be an interesting offseason. Obviously, there were the rumors about Tina that we played on last year. So it will be really interesting to see how the offseason goes, but really looking forward to that um, and getting into the offseason. But for now, that's our season recap. Is there anything that you would have liked to see us talk about? You can see our scroller there at the bottom. Feel free to leave us comments on who your most improved player was, your best game of the past year, your biggest weakness for this team, and potential additions to this 2023 Storm team that will be built here later on. But we look over two team-related notes now. Uh, on the 15th of September, it was announced that Brianna Stewart was named to the All-WNBA First Team. Stewie is earning First Team honors for the fourth straight season that she has played in, as well as All-WNBA. WNBA recognition for the fifth time in her career that non-first team time she was named to the second team. Stewie became the ninth player in WNBA history to appear in the first team in four consecutive seasons played. She is the third player to accomplish that feat for the Storm after Lauren Jackson appeared on five straight first teams from the 2003 to 2007 seasons, as well as Sue Bird, who was honored with four straight from 2002 to 2005. Stewie led the WNBA scoring for the first time in her career, uh, pouring in a career best 21.8 points per game in this past season. She scored in double figures in all 34 games that she played in this year, a streak which is the longest active streak in the league. To go back to the MVP thing, Asia Wilson is a great player. She should have absolutely been 1B in the MVP voting. But if you take Asia out, I'm sure this Aces team can continue to move the ball considering the other options that we've talked about. If you take Stewie out of this past year's Storm lineup, they really struggle. And that was the case last year in the playoffs against Phoenix, even to an extent when Stewie was out last year. So in terms of most valuable, and if we're actually going off of the value, should have been Stewie, but I digress. Uh, we look over here to league notes. The only thing I've got for you is that the 18th of September, it was announced that the Aces won the WNBA finals over the sun. Chelsea Gray was named the finals MVP. She had an amazing postseason, and that's really well-earned. First-year coach Becky Hammond, after winning coach of the year, wins her first title, uh, 
in her first, well, wins the title in her first season as the head coach for Las Vegas. So that's Vegas dominated, like I said, uh, last week and even the leagues before. They seem like the team of destiny. Who's going to beat them? Nobody. So uh, they were able to win three games to one. Connecticut was able to put up a fight, get one game, but they just couldn't keep up. So congratulations to Vegas, and we'll be certainly excited to see how the offseason takes place. Now, looking over to the Sounder side of things, again, the tough news continues to roll. It's really unfortunate. Uh, September 17th at Vancouver on the road. So you're playing the Whitecaps. You're playing your rivals. You'd surely like to be able to get this win. You kind of need to get this win, or even a draw would be fine um, to keep your playoff hopes alive and to control that to an extent. Seattle didn't do that, as you can see on your screen, losing two to one. Two goals early really just kind of buried the Sounders, and they weren't able to bounce back. An 89th-minute goal by Will Bruin would bring them into the realm of uh, any sort of competition there to end this game, but Seattle was not able to find an equalizer late after that goal, and they fell. Uh, Played the game midfielder Abbott Rusnak. Rusnak, a 7.3 match rating, better than Will Bruin, who came in to uh, score that goal. An 88% passing uh, percentage, five chances created, and two solo shots. Rusnak's five chances created were the most created in the match. <sighs> I know we've been playing around with this for oops weeks, months now, but it seems like Seattle may finally be buried. If they win out, they can technically still make the playoffs. There's a good chance, considering that some of the teams that are above them have been in poor form as of late. But just considering this loss, it was a poor loss. Defensively, the mistakes continue to mount. The playoff chances are really low. And it just it looks really bleak. Uh, you needed to at least just get a draw in this game. You play now some teams that, you know, this was a Vancouver team that I didn't necessarily consider the biggest deal to deal with. And they come out and get two first half goals against you. So you start to wonder, is there any gas left in the tank? You know, after that big win against Austin last week, it was like, hey, you know, maybe there is. I mean, we could look at the past week's uh, individual segments for our Sounders in our episodes of CSS on Converge. And it's kind of like mostly, hey, are they done? Are they done? After the win against Austin, it's like, hey, maybe you're picking up. But now, I mean, it seems like, I know we've been playing this for a week, a little bit now, but it's like this might be the final nail in the coffin. I know that they can, if they win out, they can say mathematically alive, but it's going to be tough. They got to play Cincinnati, San Jose, Sporting Kansas City. Those last two teams are going to have it in for you. I know San Jose gave it to you when you play them on the road. Kansas City, there's a little bit of a rivalry there after last year when uh, Tim Meliev slammed Christian Roldan on the ground. It's going to get tough. It's going to get really tough. And I don't know if Seattle is going to be able to finally, to finally, to be able to pull it out and have some sort of opportunity to find themselves back in the playoff picture. So we can revisit that certainly, but it just seems pretty bleak. And I don't know if there's any chance that they're going to be able to squeak out against the odds. In team-related news, on the 12th, it was announced that the club leads the MLS in four players and ha- yeah, with four players among the top 25 best-selling jerseys in the MLS regular season. This year, the Rave Green uh, have forwards Raul Rui Diaz and Jordan Morris making the top 10 at uh, sixth for uh, Rui Diaz and ninth for Jordan Morris, while Christian Roldan in the midfield was at 14th and Nicolas Lodero at 16th. Uh, these rankings are based on the overall retail sales of the jerseys on the MLSstore.com since the beginning of the season through September 1st. So good to see that, you know, I guess there's that. Uh, something salvageable. And then on the 14th, it was announced that Jordan Morris would be called into the U.S. men's national team for two friendlies. Uh, the forward has been called up to the U.S. men's national team for a pair of Europe-based friendlies in the squad's final tune-up matches ahead of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. That's good foreshadowing to an extent to hopefully see Jordan Morris with the World Cup team in Qatar uh, later on this year. Uh, we have liked to see Christian Roldan make it there, but all things considered, having at least one of the Sounders on that club will be great to see. Um, just hope that Roldan would be able to uh, make it in there just because he's kind of gotten an unlucky bounce. Uh, 
by head coach Greg Berhalter, and he's injured right now. So we look at the team's record and standings. The Sounders sit at a 12-win, 16-loss, 3-draw record. They are now 10th in the Western Conference. They have 39 points. Things continue to look bleak and bleak. We can look at some updated rankings, but it, it probably won't, won't look very good. Um, we go back to the MLS table here. I, I will say it, though. There are some good results happening for the team where they're kind of hanging in it, but it's just tougher and tougher uh, for Seattle. We'll look over to the MLS table. They are currently... Yeah, they're four points out of a playoff spot. That's, you know, two two wins is, is tough. Um, their next match is a little bit from now, September 27th at home at Lumen Field versus MC Cincinnati. It's a 7 p.m. start, and Cincinnati is fighting for their own playoff spot. So things won't get any easier for our Sounders. We look over to our Kraken news here, who we finally have training camp dates as training camp has actually begun. Um so for rookie camp, rookie camp starts today, uh, begin at 9 a.m. Uh, up at Kraken Community Iceplex. And tomorrow, September 20th, also beginning at 9 a.m. up there at the Iceplex. So if you've got time tomorrow, I'd head out for that. That's pretty cool to see some of the guys like Shane Wright, who's pictured on your screen there. Technically, Matt Evaneers is part of that crop, but not really a rookie um, could win rookie of the year though, because he had enough, he didn't spend enough time up at the NHL level last season for official training camp. Oopsie. Uh, the official dates are September 22nd, 23rd, 25th, 26th and 27th, which the potential of the 29th, but that's not officially announced yet, but we have our actual dates for training camp. Uh, we'll get up there for a few of those to provide you coverage for that. Make sure you're following us on the socials for that just so you can keep an eye on what's going on with our Kraken in training camp but excited to see these finally taking place as we're getting closer and closer to the actual preseason dates so there's your training camp dates we'll throw that up there for a second just so you can pause and take a look at that um there's more important Kraken news though after a long time of not actually having any uh it would be announced on the 14th that Alexander Mandricki was named the assistant general manager of the team. She was promoted to that position. Uh, Mandricki becomes the sixth woman across the NHL to be hired for that position this offseason. She's the first woman elevated uh, to that position that specializes in analytics. Uh, she was one of the first Kraken hires, hired as the director of uh, hockey administration and was part of the general manager search committee that hired Ron Francis way back in 2018. She, before the uh, promotion, oversaw an analytics team of four other employees and said her department is expected to grow even more this season with additional hires. General manager Ron Francis had a comment on the move saying, I have always been in the school of thought that you find the best person available for the job. Alex isn't getting this promotion because she's a female. It's because she's earned this promotion. So I know that when the news about the Seahawks having a female coach join the squad, there was wide as, you know, it was a dumb comment. But obviously, Mandricki adds something to this club. The entire organization thinks that she's part of the analytics team. It makes sense. She was hired because of her qualifications. So that's really exciting to see that take place for the Kraken. On the 16th, it was announced that forward Daniel Sprong was signed to a professional tryout. He will have a chance to compete for a roster spot this year. It's a loaded forward squad this upcoming season, so it will be some tough decisions. Tough decisions will have to be made in Seattle. Sprong, after being traded to Seattle from Washington, had six goals and 16 games in his past stint with Seattle. So. After weeks of not having anything Kraken related, we finally got some news to look at. Uh, so we finally have some upcoming to look at as well. Looking ahead, obviously today and tomorrow are rookie camp uh, and then September 22nd, 23rd and 25th this upcoming week is training camp. It's all at Kraken Community Iceplex. It's all free. So feel free to go out and join us up there at the Iceplex in Northgate to watch you know, some of the youth of this team, as well as some new members of this team, as well as returning guys, uh, join us for training camp. So we head over now to 
I guess the second bright spot in this uh, episode of the week uh, with the OL Reign, who traveled down to North Carolina to begin their three-game road trip to wrap up the regular season. It was the first win in Cary, North Carolina for the Reign, taking that one 2-1 to one against the Courage. Uh, player of the game midfielder Rose Lavelle. Lavelle an 8.0 match rating, one goal, a 76% passing percentage, one chance created, and two total shots. This was a big game. I mean, as mentioned, they haven't won in North Carolina, uh, or Kari, North Carolina, at least. And it sets you up decently, at least, for a treacherous three-game road trip to end the season. Gotham's been good. You'll play them next on Wednesday. Houston has hung around. They've stunned you for the first uh, loss by the rain at Lumen Field um, earlier in the year. So it doesn't get any easier. I know that those are teams that you might scoff at earlier in the season. Excuse me. Um, but it's going to get tough. And so for them to really show some resiliency with some injuries that we'll look at here in a second, uh, impacting their depth, even some players not starting. Head coach Laura Harvey wasn't able to make it, and we'll get to why again with injuries. But it was tough. It was tough. And the Rain were able to get three points, a big three points, especially after giving up a goal early to bounce back and get that uh, result. So important. But we look at, uh, we're going to look at the table here. So Houston's currently sitting at second in the table, and Gotham, Gotham sitting at the bottom, but they can, I know they, I feel dumb saying this. You know, they've got a five losses uh, in their past five games, but you don't, want to disregard anybody so we'll take a look at that with sort of injury related news unfortunately tobin heath uh was announced out for the remainder of the the season on september 16th uh heath underwent successful surgery to her left knee on monday the recovery timeline is expected to go beyond the remainder of the 2022 season unfortunately uh this one is tough you know to have Tobin's impact on this team, obviously not just strictly being related to her on the field play, but as well as what she was able to do off the field, just being a veteran, just being part of that group. I mean, Laura Harvey states it here, although it wasn't an easy decision, we know it was the right decision. We always want to be mindful of our athletes and their health. So we wanted to be sure that Tobin will have the proper time needed to fully prepare for a successful return on the pitch. Despite missing time this season, Tobin has helped out our younger players tremendously with her veteran mindset and experience. That's exactly what you want from a veteran. And we talk about it uh, with our other teams, with the Mariners, Carlos Santana, with the Storm, Tina Charles, you know, stuff like that is really invaluable. So to have those guys, to have those players on these different teams, I mean, that's what I talk about with the veteran experience and just that locker room presence. So unfortunate with Tobin, I would really like to see her return to the rain next year. I know that she loves the Pacific Northwest. I've had talks with a, another rain source about it. You know, she loved to stay in the Pacific Northwest, loved it in Portland, but obviously with the way that things happened in Portland, not going to go back there. There's been talks about going down to LA and Angel City with Kristen Press, uh, and I that's probably likely, but I wouldn't rule out a return to the rain. Has really seemed to like it here with the rain and the coaching staff and just seeing uh, how about how she interacts with the players outside of just the rain as a as a team, just as friends. Seems like it goes well. So I wouldn't rule out a return to the rain. Um, it'd be really cool to see, not only from a on-the-field standpoint, but as well as a locker room standpoint as well. Continuing with the bad news, as the same day, just a few hours later, uh, defender Sinclair Miramontes was ruled out for the season with a fifth metatarsal fracture in her right foot. A quote from Harvey, Sinclair has worked so hard to be here and make an impact. She's done an excellent job filling her role on our roster throughout the season, and I'm confident that Sinclair will continue to work hard and make a strong comeback. Two injuries uh, with some more injuries as well, kind of not officially being announced, but just knowing that they're there is unfortunate, especially considering that you're in the home stretch as the, home, the playoffs come up. You would have liked to see a midfielder like Heath available for this rain team as the playoffs begin, as well as I'm sure she'll be around the club, but just to have her available would be great. Having Miramontes in that defender depth would be great, but now you don't. 
so it's it's really unfortunate that those injuries come when they do um and hoping that we see those players back much sooner rather than later um hopefully next year but obviously right now the focus is on the upcoming playoffs and even finishing out this road trip uh continuing with the news i know that i mentioned laura harvey was out on the 17th the day of the match even just a few hours before that actually took place it was announced that laura harvey tested positive for covid uh, so she missed that game she did not travel with the team head coach sam late well interim coach sam lady took over uh one of the top assistant coaches Interestingly enough, Lady has a five-win, two-draw record as head coach of the reign, I believe was the stat. So that's pretty good to have that experience on your team, uh, in your coaching staff. Just unfortunate that Laura was unable to make it, but just really hoping that these injuries, you know, don't continue to affect you. You get the three points to begin the, the road trip. Again, I know that Gotham is kind of silly to think about that they might push you considering that they're at the bottom of the league, but None of these games are easy. A lot of the uh, table itself is sorted out by just a few points, and it's really not going to be easy at all down the stretch. You play a couple games here uh, as the season progresses, I mean, as up over the upcoming week, and none of that's going to get easy. Um, looking at Gotham, they've got a lot of talent. Ifeo, Ifeo Anumanu, it's just... It's pretty scary. So looking at all of that, uh, and then you've got Houston who sit at second in the table. It doesn't get any easier for you moving forward. So that will be really important to look at going forward and to see how the Rain are able to, able to overcome those injuries before they return back home uh, to play uh, Orlando in the final regular season game. Uh, just to see how they sort things out because they easily could move up to first place in the NWSL as well as they could fall uh, out of a playoff spot just because of the madness of the table. Um, Cause you're two points out of second place and you're three points out of first place. So that's a win out of first place. You can easily make your way up. So we'll look ahead to these next few games here uh, for our reign and upcoming. I apologize. I messed up. I didn't have the proper upcoming schedule for you. So I'm just getting that ready here. They played two games. And that's the thing too, with these injuries uh, and with this final road trip, you're going to play a tough schedule that forces you to probably dig into your depth here um, with that game uh, on Saturday against the courage on the road. You stay on the road, you go to New York, New Jersey, and you have to play that game on the 21st and then three days later play a game in Houston. So I know that Harvey mentioned in a pregame presser that she would have to use the depth and you lose two key players to that pretty quickly. So that's why I'm saying it'll be a really tough situation. So we look upcoming uh, September 21st at New Jersey uh, is a 4 p.m. Pacific time kickoff time. And then September 24th at Houston is a 5.30 p.m. pickup time. It doesn't get any easier. It does not get any easier for the rain, and they'll just have to deal with it um, and find a way to get those points. So we now look over to our XFL news. I don't have a Dragons hat for you, so I can't technically put that on. But we got some news finally after announcing some uh, earlier stuff about a month ago, we have news on the actual coaching staff for the XFL Seattle team. I'd say Dragons, but they could change branding. I doubt it. So let's look at the coaching staff here. We'll highlight some of the names. We've got the official list there on the screen for you. The head coach is Jim Hazlitt. Offensive coordinator is June Jones. Uh, Ron Zook is the defensive coordinator. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this team all falls into place, obviously with Jim Zorn being the coach last year. Had some struggles. Uh, there were some bright spots on that Dragons team, but the team really did struggle as a whole. Uh, it was a fun experience to have those the those games in Seattle at Lumen Field. I know there's some fun uh, when those games took place here, but you'd like to see in the second time around, hopefully Seattle will be a better club overall. So we'll give you a one second last here to look at the coaches side of things before we shift over to Seattle Star of the Week. 
And with no bell, obviously, it's just me making my pick. I know that everybody likes to see bell here, but we had to deal with things. Uh, I went with Alexander Mandricki just with how things have been with how the Kraken have been working to be an exclusive team uh, in the NHL. You know, I know I talked to Everett Fitzhugh about it in our interview, just about the inclusivity of hockey and trying to get into that hockey is for everyone mindset to have someone that is qualified that is leading uh, in analytics, something that's hopefully growing here in hockey. And I know that the player, people like Allison Lucan do a great job uh, with the Kraken of educating people about the analytics in hockey to see someone so qualified to take that position is great, but also to see that it's a woman taking a spot in a mostly dominated male sport, white male sport to see that is great to see. So she gets our star of the week badge, especially cons- you know, considering again, the qualifications is huge. So with that, all that being said, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, Seahawks up and down week, mostly tough considering the injury to Jamal Adams and the, the absolute demolition by at the hands of the 49ers the Mariners tough week they're leading right now on the top of the fifth fortunately the storm season recap again didn't end how we'd like it we're looking ahead to the offseason here the Sounders loss might put the final nail in the coffin here they have to win out to effectively make the playoffs the Kraken training camp takes place and will be taking place this upcoming week and we'll get some preseason games here soon. Alexander Mandricki takes the assistant general manager role. The Rain get three points to begin their road trip and the Dragons name their coaching staff. So that'll wrap up our September 19th edition of Circling Seattle Sports on Converge. Man, we're almost in October here. This is... I'm not liking this. I'll have to do classes here sooner rather than later. So until we see you next week, we'll get Bell back for you. I apologize. You had to hear me drone on for a good hour here. Uh, until we see you next week, thank you, people behind the camera. Curtis helping us here, getting everything set up, uh, even with not having Bell here. Uh, do whatever you can to make today, today a great day and hoping for a better Seattle Sports Week next week. Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.